Theology, Culture, and All Things Shades. I'm John Mark Durow, and I'm here with my good friends Brad Brown and Jonathan Hafes. We are in the studio this afternoon. What's up, everybody? Hey, man. How are you? I'm good. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. You know, post-Easter. Brad, how you doing? Usually at this point in time, we're all gone, out of town for the week after Easter and doing planning for next year, but we can't because we're sheltering in place. Sheltering in place, and it is a beautiful day. I look out the window as we begin this podcast, and it's absolutely breathtaking. Brad, you're the only one of us that can see out the window <laughs> in this room. <laughs> I think John Mark can. can I can see the right? sun. I can okay, see my back to the window. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing. So, you know, go on a walk with your family today. Enjoy the good weather. Get outside. Except for the fact that everybody won't hear this today. They'll hear it maybe tomorrow or the next day. We should probably check the weather. Who knows what the weather will be on that day. You know, I did not think about that. So if we're in the middle of a tornado watch (laughs) or warning, please disregard the advice (laughs) that I just gave. We were on Sunday at some point. I don't know if you guys... Uh, how it was around where y'all lived, but uh, we actually, as far south as we live, we were pretty much okay. But on the way in this morning, driving down 459, one of those huge exit signs on the side of the road, you know, the big green signs, like it was ripped, like not just ripped down, but ripped in half by the the wind. But that's honestly, that's the only evidence I've seen of how severe the storms were in this area. Mm. It wasn't bad at our house. There, uh, our neighbors directly across the street. An unfortunate thing happened where the transformer blew right behind oh. them, but it only powers I think two or three houses. Oh. So those were the only people on the whole street. So y'all didn't, didn't lose power. power. We still had power. Yeah, Ooh. so it was a bummer for yeah. them. Well, we hope that everybody stayed safe during the storms. But the storms aren't the only thing that happened on Sunday. It was also Easter. It was a very strange Easter celebration. Um, what do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was rainy. Is that what you're talking about? That's exactly what I mean. No, I mean, obviously, yeah. we had to live stream the service. And so we were, it, it was the most people we'd had in the room because we did a little bit bigger band, but we were still, I think, nine. Nine people. Yep. Yeah, there were nine people. Just in case there are any police officers listening <laughs> to <in the> government. <laughs> Just, Just to kidding. be clear. Just to be clear. <laughs> Which I mean, yes. it was still it was it was powerful and it was good, but it was definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. unique among Easter experiences. I imagine not only on our end, but on everybody else's end, to have Easter in their living room was also strange and unique. Yeah, yeah, we, it was interesting. I, I did enjoy seeing everyone's Instagram stories. Uh, I know the Shades account we posted a lot of those, but uh, the one with. Um, with Jordan Holsenbeck playing, he had his play, bass play, out bass playing along. with the band. I was like, man, that's that was so good. I yeah, loved that. That was awesome. Yeah, that was awesome. Well, uh, in light of Easter being last Sunday, we thought that this week on the podcast we would talk about the resurrection, and we would talk about uh, or answer the question: Do we have? Mm, good evidence that the resurrection is a historical event. Is this something that is important to the faith? This is something that in modernity has definitely come under attack. Uh, Last week, uh, during Holy Week, there was an article that was released in Christianity Today that I thought was very good. The title of the article was, If Easter is Only a Symbol, Then to Hell With It. Is it, it, it catchy title? Um, is that going to give us an explicit rating? On the no, podcast? that was by a. Uh, it's it's. Tr- I forget. She's got Tish three names. Tish. Harrison. Tish. I almost called her Trish. Tish. Yes. Harrison. Warren. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. She's a Anglican priest. She's I Anglican priest in the yeah. ACNA in Pittsburgh. She's a great writer. I've read several articles by her that are really really great. Um. And this one was great too. That, yeah. That, her title. Doesn't it come from something? Isn't she quoting something? I can't remember what it is. I believe she uh, stole that from Flannery O'Connor. That's right. That's it. Yes. And there was a... a What what does she mean by that title, Brad? (laughs) Well, there was a paragraph in the article that really stood out to me. She's such a great writer. And she says this. I thought I would read it to get the discussion going. She says in the article, I am a Christian today not because it answers all my questions about the world 
or about our current suffering. It does not. And not because I think it is a nice, coherent, moral order by which to live my life. And not because I grew up this way or have fond feelings about felt boards and him sings. That's what she wrote. Felt, and not because felt boards. That's a that's a deep cut. Yeah, Christian kid. We had, Kitt, we had felt boards. Deep cut there, right there. In my I, was there. I got church. that. I resonated with that. Me too. <laughs> she goes and not because it motivates justice or helps me to know how to vote. Ultimately, I am a Christian because I believe in the resurrection. If it isn't true, to hell with it. Come on, preach. Pretty strong. Yeah. No, so, absolutely. Yeah, so, Jonathan, I thought we could begin the conversation by answering the question, as enlightened modern Americans, isn't it foolish, isn't uh, it to believe in a fairy tale, to believe that a man was raised from the dead? Have you thought about this before? Oh, that, that question smacks of what C.S. Lewis loved to call chronological snobbery. Ooh, good, um, good reference. Yeah, yeah meaning that, that we think we are so much more enlightened than ancient man, yeah, um, so much true. further advanced. Um, but uh, so, I mean, the short answer is, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely insane. Dead people stay dead. You know, this is what all of our experience tells us. This is what the laws of science tell us it's it's absolutely insane but you know uh scripture owns up to that yeah you know so luke 24 verses 10 uh and 11 this is this is right after um uh, several women had uh witnessed the the empty tomb and it says uh now it was mary magdalene and joanna and mary the mother of james and the other women who told these things to the apostles but these words seemed to them, seemed to the apostles, an idle tale, and they did not believe them. So for, forget about, you know, modern people having issues trying yeah. to believe this. Jesus' own disciples, whom he told, you know, I, the Son of Man is going to be delivered over into the hands of sinful men, and he's going to be crucified, and three days later he will rise from the dead. Yeah, they think it's an idle tale. And that, and that word right there, idle, it's it's I-D-L-E. It's, it's a really interesting word in the Greek. This is the only place it appears in the entire New Testament. And it is used most often in medical settings hmm. uh, to refer to patients who grew delirious with an extreme fever. Obviously, the disciples aren't saying, hey, these, these women are sick and have an extreme fever. But what they're saying is you're acting like that. It's kind of like we use the word insane. Like insane is really a medical term to describe a real condition. But we apply it to people, not that we think actually have that condition, but who are acting like it. You're mm -hmm. acting insane. And that's what the disciples are saying. They're saying, you sound crazy talking about a man who who rose from the dead. So, yeah. We openly, the Bible openly admits that the resurrection of Jesus sounds insane, mm -hmm. but it's the linchpin of our faith. I mean, um, Tish Warren is right. Yeah. No, we cannot do without this. Mm -hmm. You know, I, 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 she and even in her title and in her article, she's echoing the words of the Apostle Paul out of First Corinthians 15. He says this in verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also all who have fallen asleep in Christ Jesus have perished. If in Christ we have hoped in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Mm. Paul basically says, look, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, this is dumb. Yeah. We're, we're all, in, in what we're preaching, we're lying to people. We're misrepresenting God. We're not offering anything real, not offering anything of, of hope. And we should be pitied because we've embraced something so ludicrous. Yeah. So Paul actually goes on in verse 32 to suggest what we should do if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Should we just embrace this thing? 
like a, a good moral system or with nostalgic feelings or whatever. Yeah. He says this. He says, no, if the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Like, in other words, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, to hell with this thing. Yeah. That's basically what he says right there, just like Flannery O'Connor and Tish Warren Harris. Yeah. And to reference Lewis, again, reminds me of Lewis's liar, lunatic, or lord. And if Jesus was not raised from the dead, then he was either a liar and he was tricking people or... He was a lunatic. <laughs> right. He was crazy. And he's not someone that you should abandon everything in your life for to follow. My my kids and I actually watched uh, on on Sunday, we watched this play. It's done by the Sight and Sound Theater, and you could stream it over Easter weekend for free. It's just simply called Jesus. It was really well done. Mm. Um, but I remember I grew up. Uh, loving my church actually put on an Easter play similar to that every year and was not nearly the same production level um, but I loved it as a kid and I was like oh they'll probably enjoy this but for me sitting there watching it, uh, it it reminded me I don't know just a new and a fresh because it's been so long since I've like seen kind of like a dramatic production like that um, it reminded me a new and a fresh how insane Jesus's words were mm. like to hear a man say these things and talk this way and make these claims. You're just like this dude truly either was off his flipping rocker, yeah, or or he was evil beyond all capacity, lying, or he's telling the truth. Yeah. And that's what the resurrection is meant to show. It's meant to show that he was telling the truth. He's not a liar. He's not a lunatic. Mm-hmm. He is Lord over all, which is which is why it is the linchpin of our faith. Yeah. Awesome. So we've talked a little bit about the importance of the resurrection, how it is the most <laughs> important claim doctrine in Christianity. It's that which everything else hinges on. And if that did not happen, then we might as well go home, right? Yeah, we all need different chops. Yeah, it's very, very important. So why don't we talk about uh, the evidence then for the resurrection, for the historicity of it? Yeah. Um, what evidence is there? Yeah, because, I mean, yes, it, so- it sounds crazy, to believe something like this, but we do simultaneously want to say it's not crazy. It's not illogical. It's not this blind leap mm-hmm. into the dark. Like we actually have really good reasons. Um, I, I would submit that the resurrection, Jesus actually rising from the dead, best explains the facts. And so the, the way I'll normally have this conversation with people is I'll say, let's, let's talk about four facts of the resurrection, like undeniable, I don't care if you are a believer or not, if you're an atheist, whatever. These are four facts about the resurrection that we can all agree on. Mm. And, and we've got to ask the question, what best explains those facts? Now, whenever you're having a conversation like this, we're, we're venturing into a field of study known as apologetics. Uh, to give an apology, and we normally think of that word as apologizing for something we've done wrong or whatever, but but the word more originally uh, meant to give a defense, to give a reason mm-hmm. for something. So apologetics is giving reasons for why we believe what we believe, and apologetics should be used in their right place. I don't think that this is the way that we like argue someone into the faith or to make someone become a believer or, or that we can have that conversation another day, but I do think apologetics are helpful uh, because they help to strengthen our faith. They're not the foundation of it. In other words, I don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead because of the arguments we're about to talk about. Mm-hmm. I believe Jesus rose from the dead because I believe I've encountered Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the foundation of my faith. But apologetics can help to strengthen and fortify yeah. our faith. If someone comes along and says, historically, this is just ludicrous. Right. For anyone to even think this could possibly happen, they obviously haven't looked at the history. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so that's that's what we kind of uh, that's that's what we want to do. Yeah. And the rest of this episode is just lay out 
some helpful um, pieces of evidence that can fortify our trust in the historicity of the resurrection. So, four facts. We'll take them one at a time. Number one, executed. Jesus was really executed. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, that That seems obvious, but scholars, believing scholars, unbelieving scholars uh, of, of history, like, they... They will all agree there was a man known as Jesus who was put to death on a cross by Rome. Anyone that purports some other theory is purporting like a harebrained, way fringe theory. Nearly everyone agrees on overwhelming evidence Jesus was really executed. But Jonathan, I was watching National Geographic and there was this really interesting documentary on there that said otherwise from this random guy. From some random university that no one's ever heard of. Right. Right. It's completely reliable. Yeah. No, <laughs> no actually. But yes, ancient scholars agree. Yes, they do. Scholars agree uh, that someone named Jesus was put to death. And, and, and here's the deal. The only thing that's ever been put forward to push back against this uh, is something known as the swoon theory, which just sounds dumb. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. Because it is. Uh, but so, and the reason something like this gets put forward is because the evidence that someone named Jesus was put to death is so overwhelming. So you've mm-hmm. got to come up with some other explanation for what's going on. The swoon theory uh, is a very embraced by a very small percentage of of even non-believing scholars. But basically, the idea is Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He just appeared to have died. Uh, he swooned, if you will. Mm. And then when he was put in the tomb later, he you know, revived and went back to his disciples. And that's why they thought he rose from the dead. This You want to start talking about like ludicrous and illogical conspiracy theories. <laughs> <laughs> They've been around for a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah this, yeah. Is, this is ludicrous because basically Jesus had already been wounded enough to bleed to death. And you got to believe he didn't. He laid in a cold tomb for 36 hours, woke up, removed his own grave clothes, rolled away a stone, fought some Roman soldiers, walks a few miles, and then convinces his disciples that he had conquered death. I, I, I think that if he'd done all that and arrived to the disciples, they would have said, you haven't conquered death, you need a doctor. Yeah. Like, it's, it's crazy. And, and, and the biggest reason that theory doesn't work is because you can't fake asphyxiation. That's how crucifixion kills you. Uh, asphyxiation is suffocation. In other words, it's like trying to fake drowning. Mm. You can't fake drowning. Like if you're under the water for that time period, you're dead. If you hang in the position of a cross for that time, you're dead. Like there's, there's no faking that. So fact number one, Jesus was really executed. He really died. Fact number two, empty. The tomb was really empty. Again, the overwhelming majority of scholars, even non-believing ones, will agree that on Sunday morning, Easter Sunday morning, the tomb was really empty. It's it's hard to deny that fact simply because the disciples started proclaiming the resurrection nearly immediately, and they proclaimed it first in Jerusalem. Hmm. So like if the tomb wasn't really empty, then all the authorities would have to do is go to the tomb and produce the body. That was the problem. Nobody could produce a body. Most people will agree on the fact that the tomb was empty. They just disagree about how the tomb got that way. Mm. So it was interesting. I was listening to a podcast with Ben Shapiro and William Lane Craig. Ben Shapiro is an Orthodox Jew. William Lane Craig is a Christian apologist. And Ben Shapiro was making the point that there are other messianic figures um, from Judaism that have made claims of being the Messiah and that they've had a following. And even after their death, there are people that would worship them or hold them up as the Messiah to this day. And he was doing that to try to put that on the same plane as the claims about Jesus and Christianity. And William Lane Craig, I thought, very sharply responded and goes, uh, have you seen his tomb? <laughs> And Ben Shapiro goes, well, well, no, I haven't been to the tomb. I haven't looked at it. And he goes, okay. It was great. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Like, 
if they're lying about the tomb being empty, you you produce a body, and they couldn't do that. So what becomes the explanation for the fact that the tomb is empty? Some people say, well, they just the, the women went to the wrong tomb, you know, when they went that morning. So, oops, accident. The problems with that: the women, one, they watched him be buried. Mm-hmm. Two, even if they got it wrong, somebody would have figured that out. I mean, Joseph of Arimathea, it was his tomb. You know, surely he would have been like, um, pardon me, ladies. Um, I, I know you're excited, but I need to need to show you something. <laughs> um, like, there's no way it was simply a mistaken tomb. The other popular theory is that the body was stolen, and that's the most circulated story of all time, and, and including even in the days of the apostles. Um, you know, the, the scriptures testify that this is what the soldiers were paid off by the religious leaders to purport as the story. You know, that the disciples came while we were asleep and they stole the body. Just a couple of logical issues with that. First of all, the group of disciples are frightened. They all scatter during Jesus's execution. Now they're supposed to muster up the courage to go to the tomb, which is guarded by professional soldiers, and they either got to fight them or sneak past them. Which, 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 by the way, for a soldier, a Roman soldier, to sleep on guard duty bore the penalty of death. Mm. Like no soldier is going to to do that. As a matter of fact, when the religious leaders pay off the soldiers to promote that story, they guarantee we'll be able to protect you as far as Rome is concerned. Otherwise, they wouldn't have ever bought into that. Yeah, you know. So like, it it, it just it just becomes this ludicrous idea. Uh, that you have these scared-to-death disciples uh, that go to perform this action. I mean, you got to ask the question, like, even if they're doing that, so let's say the disciples do steal the body, why? Like, what do they stand to gain gain from it? Mm. Usually if you commit a crime, it's because you have something to gain out of it. You know, are they going to get fame or wealth or the good life? Just the opposite. Yeah. They're going to become hated and hunted people they're going to spend the rest of their lives on the run for this truth most of them will die for this truth i mean would they really do all of that if they knew for a fact that it was a lie Mm. and that that leads to the third fact yeah and i was and i wasn't gonna say along with that that there were other messianic figures about a hundred years on either side of the death and resurrection of jesus and when those messianic figures died they no one claimed that the figures had come back to life at that time. This wasn't a common thing that people right. did. And when the figure would die, a new leader, whether it was a family member or somebody else, would take their place and keep the movement going forward. But you do not see that with the disciples. Yeah, there's James, the brother of Jesus, who becomes a prominent figure within the church, but nobody claimed that James was the Messiah, right. and then now he was to be worshipped. Right. No Jesus 2.0. Yes. Yeah. And and that, that really is the third fact of the resurrection. So we've got Jesus was really executed, the tomb was really empty, and the third one is exchanged. The disciples, that's men and women who followed Jesus, the disciples really exchanged fear for faith. Like, no one can argue with the fact that these people really believed they had seen Jesus alive again. Mm-hmm. They were convinced to the point of death that they had seen this. Like some people will try and claim, yeah, you've got. I mean, because they believed it so ardently, some people will try and explain it off in some other way. Like, well, perhaps they had hallucinations. Yeah, they hallucinated and thought they saw Jesus back from the dead, but. The thing with hallucinations is they don't happen in groups. <laughs> like, everybody hallucinates the same thing. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 yeah. and verse 6 that at least 500 people saw Jesus at the same time. That's that's a massive, like, trip going on right there <laughs> of people all seeing the same thing. And and Paul tells... Yeah, Paul says that in 1 Corinthians it, it, to, to tell the Corinthians, like, hey... 500 people at the same time saw Jesus risen from the dead. Most of them are still alive. In other words, go ask them. You know, so no, no on the hallucinations. Some people will say uh, that the disciples simply mistook uh, someone for Jesus who looked like him. Jesus had a doppelganger. And, you know, they, they made the mistake. Or maybe Jesus had a twin brother and they, like, planned the whole thing. Like, uh, what's the movie? <laughs> the, the, um, 
it's not the prestige. Yeah, yeah it is prestige. the prestige. It is yeah. the prestige. I was th- it was Sorry going back and forth between that and the illusionist. <laughs> yeah, the, the prestige. Yeah, so yeah, the twin brother. I like at this point yeah. we're really spoiler co- alert <laughs> <laughs> to those who haven't seen Sorry. the Christopher Nolan film. Oh the man, prestige. don't go watch it now. It won't be as cool. <laughs> we're uh, we're really grasping at straws at this point, though. You know. Yeah. Totally. And at, at just on the whole twin theory, can I say this? When I was in high school, uh, or at least the first two years of high school, I went to this small, you know, uh, private school for the first two years of high school. And in our class of 40 people, we had three sets of twins, uh, all of them sisters, uh, three sets of twins. And we spent, you know, I only spent the first two years of high school with these twins. And none of them, there's no way any of them could have ever tricked any of us into thinking that you know they were their sibling because we knew them too well it, it, right. every, everybody knows that like e- even if you have a set of identical twins that you think oh my goodness like i can't tell you to apart like when you get to know them you can tell instantly yeah these men and women like lived and traveled with jesus for three years no look-alike mm-hmm. is going to be able to pull off you know this kind of of trick yeah. it's just it's just ludicrous so anyway and and ultimately you know these these followers of jesus they truly did believe they had seen jesus back alive and it uh, inspired faith all the way to the point of death james was killed with a sword philip was crucified matthew pinned down to the ground and beheaded andrew was crucified peter was crucified upside down Thomas the doubter was run through with spears and then burned to death and like the list just goes on and on. Yeah. But uh even more amazing than all of that the thing that I think really makes me stand back and marvel at the fact of the resurrection is fact number 4. So Jesus was really executed, tomb was really empty, disciples really exchanged uh fear for faith and fact number 4 enemies enemies were really converted the the quintessential example of that truth is saul or also known as paul you know, paul was zealous for judaism he wanted to destroy the church until he was on the road to that city of damascus when the resurrected jesus himself appeared to paul and paul went from persecutor to missionary you know, he says it like this so let's just listen to paul's own words in galatians 1 For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. But he who set me apart before I was born called me by his grace. Like, it it doesn't matter what someone believes whether they believe in jesus or not you've got to say something happened on the damascus road like for a terrorist to become the greatest proponent of the thing which he was terrorizing something happened paul would spend the rest of his life hunted suffering beaten shipwrecked eventually killed as he spread the gospel wrote letters planted churches something happened to paul Mm. And so this this puts us in in the spot of four facts. Jesus was really executed. The tomb was really empty. The disciples really exchanged fear for faith. And the enemies of Jesus really were converted. And you got to ask the question, what best explains those facts? What is the most reasonable? What is the most logical thing that explains those four facts? And all of a sudden, the resurrection doesn't seem like just an idle tale. It doesn't seem so crazy. Like all of this points to a truly reliable account of a risen and reigning Savior, Jesus Christ. Hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. So our hope is that that encourages you and helps to strengthen your faith. If if you're interested in knowing more along the lines of this kind of thing, there are a lot of really great resources out there. Um, about the validity of the resurrection, the validity the validity of the scriptures. Um, but for me, like when we start talking about apologetic issues, that this is the central one. 
Because mm-hmm. if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, who cares about all the other things we could talk about? Yeah. Yep. If he did rise from the dead, then no matter what we think about all the other apologetic issues, he's he's Lord and God. Yes. I think so. this is a great place to start with anyone who is wrestling with Christianity. Maybe they grew up in the church and they're having a ton of doubts and they have a million questions and you don't feel like you always give the right answers. Take them back to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Absolutely. Take them from their subjective experience and their subjective experiences in the world and take them back to that objective reality and push them and ask them about that. Right. Because in my experience, maybe y'all's is different, but when there are believers that are walking away from the faith or people that have doubts about Christianity, more times than not, it's not about the person and work of Jesus or the historicity of his existence. It's about various and other sundry things. Yeah, they're asking questions about creation. They're asking questions about yes. morality. They're asking yes. questions about God and evil. They're asking, you know, and, and these things are making them wrestle with, well, if this thing isn't the way I have always thought it to be, then is Christianity true at all? Is, totally, yeah. So someone comes to me wanting to talk about creation, Genesis chapters one through three, all of those kinds of questions that can be stirred up there. I, I want to take them first to this conversation. Totally, yeah. Because I want to say, again, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, who cares? <laughs> yeah about Genesis 1 through 3, mm-hmm. you know? If he did rise from the dead, we can talk about Genesis 1 through 3 all day long, and we can come to a host of varying conclusions, and Christians do mm-hmm. come to a host of varying conclusions. Yeah. But he is still Lord and God and worthy of all of our worship. Yeah. So, I, I yeah. It puts, you, oh, go ahead. No, I was just saying this is the issue. Totally. And then I think someone, after they've wrestled through that, and if they're able to say, okay, yes, I believe that Jesus did die and that he was resurrected. He was who he said that he was. And I'm going to put my faith in him. I'm going to trust in him, even though I don't understand anything. I think that puts the person in the posture of faith, seeking, and understanding to then, like you said, they can go to all these other questions and wrestle and work through them, but all with the understanding of Jesus is who he said he was and that he's revealed to us in the scriptures. Yeah, it gives us a great assurance and a great freedom. Because if I know that Christ is Lord and God over all, I I don't have to be scared of exploring all of these other questions. They don't threaten Jesus. They don't threaten what I know to be true, you know? And so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Last thing I'll say is, as you were talking about resources, the resource that came to mind is a... Long book. Are, are you about to go for the tome that I'm is the going, standard? I'm going for the tome because we're not messing around on Shades Midweek. Right? Um, the tome is a book titled Resurrection. The it's Resurrection of the Son Resurrection of God. Resurrection of the Son of God. Yeah. It's by a New Testament scholar named N.T. Wright. And it will address and answer any question you have and also enlighten you about any modern objections that there are that people would make right it is the standard for the work on the resurrection and will be for a generation if not more i mean there's nothing more exhaustive than that and when he says a tome i mean we're talking that sucker pushes what 800 800, pages pages. something like that yeah so there are definitely smaller works yeah (laughs) on the resurrection um but that that is that is the one um, I think a great advertisement for it is after he wrote that book, I think it was his supervisor, I might not be his supervisor, but the supervisor at Oxford was an atheist and he read the, he read the book and said, okay, I've read your book and you make really compelling arguments. I just choose to believe that there's another explanation. Hmm. And Wright said, okay, <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. Well, again, we hope this has been helpful, um, but I do think we're going to pivot now that we've finished the serious portion yes. of this podcast, because during quarantine life, we've been trying to kind of have two halves to the episodes, uh, one a little bit more serious and one a little bit less serious. <laughs> so This what, is just as serious. Just as serious. What do you boys have <laughs> on the dock for today? John Mark? 
Yeah, guys. So um, there's a few articles um, that I read that I thought would be cool to discuss here uh, in the midst of this coronavirus pandemic that we find ourselves in. This one was interesting. Uh, Jonathan, you actually sent this to us. Uh, It's from NPR. The title of the article is Tips from Someone with Nearly 50 Years of Social Distancing Experience. The article says, we're all social distancing these days, and it's unclear when exactly that will end. But Billy Barr has been doing this for almost 50 years. Can I just say that I read this article solely because his name was Billy Barr? (laughs) I was like, anyone named Billy Barr, this is going to be good. Man, where does he live? He's the only full-time resident of Gothic, Colorado. Great name. I'm the mayor and chief of police, he said. I hold elections every year, but I don't tell anybody when they are, so it works out really well. That's his quote. He lives in an abandoned silver mine at nearly 10,000 feet in altitude in the Rocky Mountains. That, yeah. That's, <laughs> can that's, either of you guys do that? You that's, think you social, live, that's social distancing. You think you can live in an abandoned silver mine in the Rocky Mountains? So... From my understanding from reading the article, he does have some social interaction, right? Yeah, he's got a phone, and he calls and talks to his sister, and then I think he skis into town. <laughs> I forget how far away the town is, and I've got oh, questions. I'm how guessing, do you do that? I'm guessing it's a cross-country skiing yeah, experience. Yeah, yeah, it would have to be. <laughs> You're not going man. back uphill. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to mention this, but if you read the article, there's all this information in there. Apparently, he's been like tracking the weather. For because he got really yes. bored, so that was another part. He he gives weather information to scientists. He helps. Uh, it's a couple of different like scientific groups. I think that right. he helps out. And it's kind of there, there's actually I, I saw a video. I think it's actually embedded in the article if you find it. Uh, but I saw a video a couple of years ago on him. I think I randomly came across it on YouTube. But it's just called the Snow Guardian, and it's about how he's been tracking the weather for years and the snow and all that. But. Anyway, but yeah, so the title of the article is Tips from for from someone with nearly 50 years of social distancing experience. So, so what tips does he have, JM? Right, right. Yeah. I have thoughts on these. So these are his tips. <laughs> they they ask him. Uh, these are the Billy Barr method of social distancing tips. Number one, keep track of something. Well, what does he keep track of, John? Mark? I believe he keeps track of the weather, and that's kind of where he goes into that. I mean, he probably doesn't really have much to do there by himself. So have either of you guys kept track of anything during quarantine? Oh, this is a true story. I won't tell who it was, but uh, on someone's uh, social media the other day, they posted a picture of one of their cats, and in the background was a whiteboard on their wall. You both know who this is. I'll tell you later. Um, but was a whiteboard on the wall, and there were, like, tally marks on it. And I private messaged them, and I'm like, are y'all playing a game, or are you tracking days in quarantine? And they are totally tracking days in quarantine. <laughs> well, we, we have a board in our kitchen, and I have been keeping track of how many days we've been under, basically under stay-at-home or being advised right, to right. stay at home since the uh, – it was basically the weekend that, uh, like, they announced that schools were closing starting that Monday. So I, I, I count backwards to that Saturday because we've <laughs> been home since then. We Brad, haven't. It's been crazy. Brad, you tracking uh, TikTok trends? You know, Jonathan, <laughs> I'm, I'm a little embarrassed that you've released this so publicly. But yes, I do have a TikTok account. This this came out on our last episode. You oh, proudly it? stated it. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. I thought you said you something said, about maybe I we said were all Pearl Jam. We were all talking oh, yeah, about did mention the Pearl Jam my thing. Pearl Jam love. I'm gonna go back and listen. I'm pretty sure you also confessed that you're on TikTok. Well, well, if you didn't, you I did now. If you didn't, I, it's out now. I just want to be clear: for I'm not watching videos of people dancing. Okay, <laughs> there's a lot of that. I'm just watching goofy, fun videos. But no, I'm not tracking that, Jonathan. <laughs> Uh, in the article, it was saying, yeah, you can track something during this time. And one of the recommendations was tracking rainfall in your area. And I thought, nope, no way I would ever do that. That sounds terrible. Number two, his second uh, tip is keep a routine. Which is kind of similar to that first one. That's a little, I mean, you could track something yeah. without keeping a routine. I think that's but. great. 
keep a routine. That's good. Number three, celebrate the Whoa, step. Whoa, are we not going to talk about oh, keeping a can. routine? No, we can. What, what's your routine, Brad? Do you have something you want to share? You seem eager. Very. Well, I was just going to say. Does with, it include, what, what time of day do you space, check TikTok? I'll say. <laughs> throughout the day, I have designated times where I waste three hours. Oh. Um, Jordan and I have been going on evening walks around the neighborhood. Oh, oh how nice. And at first, I wasn't a big fan of it but since we've continued to do it i've grown to love it and i look forward to it and through it we've met neighbors that i didn't know existed so that's been a great routine that we do that i don't think we would have done otherwise awesome any routines that y'all would like to share jam i don't know about you but i don't feel like our routines as far as like the things that we truly do every single day have have changed all that much because almost all of our routines revolve around children. Right. We still cook <laughs> dinner every every night, so that it's still bedtime routine. There's still bedtime. They uh, still wake up about the same time every day. Holly and I still <laughs> unwind by watching a show every night. Right. Yeah. yeah. How oh, much of that has changed? Oh, I know the second thing I was going to share. At the end, it says uh, one idea that he had for the routine is keeping a personal jur- journal. Oh, right. He said he used yeah. to for about a decade or so, but then he went back and read it, and it was so boring. <laughs> it's like, okay, enough already. Let me go watch some paint dry. <laughs> and I love the fact <laughs> that it says he did it for a decade. <laughs> Not like he did it for a few weeks and decided it was boring. For 10 years, yeah. he did this. It reminded me of a friend who I was talking to who's quarantining, and he said, yeah, I thought I would just... Uh, journal at the end of each day about my experiences and he said after a week of doing it he's like this is the most uninteresting thing (laughs) i have ever read in my entire life i'm doing absolutely nothing no one in the future is going to want to read about i went to the mailbox this is not going to be it was 4 p.m it was warm outside yeah that's what i wanted to that's what i wanted i got more junk mail (laughs) i I threw away that hardy's coupon i watched tiger king for the fourth time there was another credit card offer. <laughs> right. All right, what's, all right, what's all number right, three? Number three is celebrate the stuff that matters rather than the stuff you're supposed to celebrate. Man. Celebrate the, the stuff we're supposed matters. to celebrate being like standard holidays, I, I'm guessing he's saying right here. Yeah, no, that is what he's saying. I just reread it right here. He said that he ditched most holidays and birthdays, but he does celebrate January 17th when the sunrise goes back <laughs> to what it was on the solstice. <laughs> I don't know if he's... I'm not laughing at him. I'm laughing at how hard Brad just lost it. I, just, I don't know if I'm with him on it's this. It's kind of funny, though. <laughs> well, he does. He, he also uh, he also celebrates, um, he said, like when he goes into town and comes back with supplies and stuff like that. But it was, what was most yeah, yeah, interesting yeah. about this section to me was not his choice of what to celebrate, but how he celebrates. Did y'all, did y'all pick up on that? He celebrates through self-denial. Like he denies himself something he wants, whether that's a particular meal he wants to have or whatever. It, it's delayed gratification, and mm. and then he, uh, you know, whenever he accomplishes like going into town and getting the supplies or whatever, like he eats that meal he's been wanting to have or watches that movie he's been wanting to watch. Well, you've heard about quarantine fifteen, I'm sure. Oh yes, you know this idea that we're all staying at home. Eating out of our refrigerator all day, we're all, all of our snacks. Fifteen pounds when this during this quarantine. So it is kind of interesting. Like he's giving, you know, putting discipline, self discipline. There, he's just by himself. He could eat whatever he wants. Nobody would say anything. Right. It's I just, don't know if he could eat whatever he wants. <laughs> I don't think he has a ton of options. Well, well I don't know just, what town he's going into. It, it's just it's, yeah. Where is Gothic, Colorado? Anyway, I don't know if there's a Zaxby's Mountains. there or something. I think the thing that I found it found interesting about yes. it is that our, our culture knows nothing of delayed gratification. We're yeah. all about immediate gratification. Yeah, we, yeah, want we're like, we want it now. We're like, I can't believe <clears throat> Amazon Prime is going <laughs> to not deliver this package for three weeks. What well, is this? And so the idea <laughs> the idea that like you know, um, celebration here uh, would be found through not immediately gratifying yourself, but through delayed gratification. I don't know. I just thought it was, was interesting. 
All right. Number Along with his fourth thing. This is number interesting. Number four, embrace the grumpiness. I would imagine if you're by yourself for 50 years, you're probably a bit grumpy. You're not around people <laughs> that much. Yeah. Well, he talks about the weather, like all the snow. Right. And like how people that come out there, because apparently people come out there to ski. Yeah. And yeah. so when they're out there for like a week to ski, they're all stoked about the snow. Right. Versus he lives in it. And he's just like, well, there's snow. <laughs> Yeah, it's like the locals in a beach town. You know, like you go to a beach town and the locals get kind of upset about just the constant tourism that's there. Right. Like, What's the big deal? We live here, you know. Right, right, right. No, for sure. John Mark, I, I imagine you uh, enjoyed something about his fifth <laughs> Number and five, final. I highly recommend number five. <laughs> Use movies as a mood adjuster. <laughs> I guess it's, that's like his is, entertainment yeah. go-to, I guess well, it seems like. Th- this is interesting. So doesn't he have a movie room in his little thing? Didn't he build himself a movie room? I didn't read that part. I'm, I, I mean, I, I think he did. Probably. That, that sounds amazing. He definitely has a TV and he watches it. And, and oh, wonder, here it is. Here it is. Yeah, yeah. So is he buying uh, movies or about, what's he about, doing? About twenty years ago, Barr added a movie room onto his cabin. It has a projector, carpeted walls, so he cares about sound quality. Wow. And three <laughs> chairs. I have a nice chair for me, and I have two other chairs with the idea that I'd invite people up, he said, and I never do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but just in case. Man. Oh, and he has I a list. He has a list of his top movies yeah. that he recommends. 357 of them. He's got 357 top movies. Man. The guy is really into rom-coms, by yeah. the way. He, really into Hugh Grant. Yeah. Hugh well, that's Grant. what I was going to say. He says his tastes are reasonably fluff oriented. Right. <laughs> Movies like Pandemic or The Shining, Hard Pass. Right. <laughs> right. Now, I want to be critical of that. But at the same time, if I lived by I myself. I understand where the, he's coming from. In the wilderness, I don't know if I would want to watch The Shining all the time. <laughs> <laughs> in an area maybe, that's constantly Maybe hit a little too it. close to home, huh? <laughs> yeah. In an area surrounded by snow. But it is interesting. So when y'all are stressed out or anxious about something, can you watch a super intense movie or do you need to watch something that's kind of lighthearted and fun? Most of the time I would probably need to watch something that's lighthearted and fun, but I but I can't if I'm in the mood for it though, even if I'm stressed, it it can be a de-stressor for me to almost watch anything. I think what I found most interesting about this is we all we, we tend to use movies as a form of escapism, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what a right. mood adjuster is and what yeah. we're talking about. You know, I feel this way, so I'm going to escape for a little while and feel differently and all of that. And I think one of the most interesting revealing things about this is is we all assume that the issues we face, our mood swings, all, like it's all out there. It's caused by the issues outside of myself. It's caused right. by people who annoy me and blah, 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 and all that. And if like all of that was gone, things would be great. And like all of that is gone for him. He, yeah. you know, he's in isolation and yet he still experiences bad moods. Yeah, right. And He's needs still his mood adjusted. Right. You know, and I, I just, I think that that's telling about the, the human condition. Kind of kind of fits with mm. what, I don't know, maybe the Bible says about people. Um, <laughs> it's a good case study right there. I, well, I, d- I did find it interesting, just like reflecting on these different things that he says, like from a Christian perspective. Like the idea of keeping track of something or keeping a routine. I mean, Scripture very much embraces the idea of routine, repetition, liturgy uh, as a way of yes. shaping ourselves and, 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 and shaping ourselves according to the reality of the world and the true story of the world, you know, um, or celebrate the stuff that matters rather than the stuff you're supposed to. Like the idea that when you get away from society, you see that society's celebrations are contrived. Mm. because we need something to celebrate whereas christians we have been given something true to celebrate you know like it, it so when i think about christmas like to me this is like that revelation of course if you remove yourself from society then christmas looks like a contrived celebration yeah. or easter <laughs> right unless you have the the real thing or even right. number four you know the embrace the grumpiness like he specifically puts grumpiness on it but what he says is he says, uh, you get older and you start saying, okay, I'm not going to necessarily be pleasant when I don't feel pleasant. Like what he's talking about is being authentic. Yeah. Like it's not just embracing the grumpiness. It's like quit pretending for the sake of society. You know, I just want to be authentic and in, in who like I truly am and, and how I feel. And then the whole use movies as a mood adjuster. 
I, I thought was was interesting because he he doesn't usually when we find ourselves in pits and in uh, places where we're down or discouraged or whatever, like Christianity turns us towards Christ and towards the community. It towards us. It turns us towards something outside ourselves to point us to reality beyond ourselves. And just the impulse is the same for him. You know, I need something outside of myself to give me a different message, something else to look to, some type of encouragement, whatever it is. So I just, I don't know, like as I read through it, it was interesting to me how, while it was, it was interesting how they reflect certain realities about the human condition mm-hmm. and how Christianity sheds a new light on the truth that undergirds these these things. So mm. I don't know. It was just interesting to think about. But it's good. You said there were two articles, JM. Yeah. So the second article I found, uh, this is from the New York Times. This is a really interesting article. Uh, I'm just going to read some of this and we're going to discuss this pretty wild. Uh, and this is this is related to the uh, coronavirus outbreak that we've seen across the world. So the article is talking about these newlyweds, Olivia and Raul De Fritas. I don't know how to say their last name. I apologize. Um, so it goes, Olivia and Raul De Fritas are currently on their honeymoon at a five-star resort in the Maldives, a nation composed of more than a thousand tiny, idyllic islands in the Indian Ocean, uh, like a trail of smashed crystals scattered on a slab of blue glass. Doesn't sound beautiful, guys. Yeah. Sounds wow. They're just <laughs> well, having the well time done. Of their well life. done, David. That's the <laughs> Was it David? <laughs> that wrote it. Yes. For years, the subject of fantasy photo spreads and glossy magazines featuring luxe bungalows on stilts in unreal aquamarine water. It was an obvious choice for their romantic getaway. I'm saying all this to give you a picture, okay? Oh, yeah. For those listening. The couple arrived just married from South Africa, where they are citizens, on Sunday, March 22nd, planning to stay for six days. Okay. Um, still, they had some concerns about the trip considering the mounting travel restrictions imposed in light of the new coronavirus outbreak around the world. But nothing specific that would affect them had been announced, and their travel agent assured them that whatever policy was forthcoming, all South African citizens would be allowed back home. Go ahead and have a great time, they were told. So you see where this is going now. Yep. Oops. Yep, nothing to worry about. So they got there on a Sunday. By that Wednesday, they received notice that their country's airports would all be closed by midnight Thursday. Flights back to South Africa are five hours uh, to Qatar, a three-hour layover, and then nine hours to Johannesburg. So even if they scrambled, uh, and even if they could get a flight, the complexities of leaving their remote island ensured they'd never make it home in time. Um. So the, it it goes on to talk about you know all these considerations they were taking like how do we how do we get off the island? Basically, they stay there. Everyone else at the resort goes back home, <laughs> so they end up now being the only ones left at this resort. Okay, they they reached out but, to the, but the entire staff of the resort is still there, the, right? With the staff, the exactly. staff can't leave they until can't the last leave. guest leave the resort. <laughs> they have to be there. Okay. And they they reached out to uh, the South African consulate. They were told that their option they would have to uh, hire a charter jet at their own expense is like over a hundred thousand um, <laughs> dollars. Do you, did you mention you you mentioned already what their jobs are? Oh, uh, it's not a it's, teacher and a butcher. Okay? Yeah, yeah, so, not 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 bringing in the. So they went on this honeymoon as like an ex- extravagance, you know, like they're gonna do this, have fun. Um, so they're the only guests. This is great. The resort's full staff are at hand because of the presence of the two guests. Um, accustomed to the flow of a a bustling workday and the engagement with a full house of guests, most of the staff, having grown listless and lonely, dote on the couple ceaselessly. Their room boy checks on them five times a day. The dining crew (laughs) made them an elaborate candlelit dinner on the beach. Every night, performers still put on a show for them (laughs) in the resort's restaurant. Two lone audience members in a grand dining hall. (laughs) At breakfast, nine waiters loiter by their table. Hostesses, bussers, and assorted chefs circulate conspicuously like commoners near a celebrity. 
The couple has a designated server, but others still come by to chat during meals, topping off water glasses after each sip. <laughs> the diving instructor pleads with them to go snorkeling whenever they pass that, him by. That's one of my favorite images. It's just the just, guy sitting on the beach. Just on his like, knees. Please, you guys. Please, Raul, please. Please. Just, just 30 minutes. That's all I'm asking. Please. I promise there's some really cool fish out here. So this uh, sounds like the dream scenario, boys. So, unfortunately, what happens is is that they are paying a discounted rate, but they still have to pay to be there every so, night. So the normal rate, the normal was rate was seven fifty a night. night. So I don't know what kind of discounted rate it doesn't say, but even if it was let's say fifty or sixty percent off, oh, I mean you're still getting probably still that's, paying yeah a hundreds or a hundred. Yeah, it's it's a few a hundred a day on their salary, and they don't know when they can go back. So anyways, there was an update to the story um, on April 5th, according to the couple. So at that point, let's see, March 22nd, they got there on March 22nd, and then on April 5th, so how many how many days was that? Been there for like almost 14, 15 Almost days. two weeks, I yeah, guess. a little over two weeks. According to the couple, they were given an hour's notice by the embassy communicating via WhatsApp to pack their bags. After saying their goodbyes and thank yous, they were taken by speedboat to another five-star resort <laughs> where South Africans in the Maldives, about two dozen in all, are being consolidated. The local government told them it would subsidize a large portion of of the cost of their stay, their return date home still unknown. Um, so, and there hasn't been any, I tried to Google it. There hasn't been any other updates. Yeah, so no for update. all we, we know, didn't. old Raul and Olivia they, are still in the Maldives on at, the honeymoon. at the second five-star <laughs> resort. Probably not in the honeymoon phase anymore after this experience. Right. right. <laughs> and what would you yeah, guys I, do? I mean, like hypothetically, what could you do? Like other than, yeah, I don't. It it is interesting. Would you be stressed, or would you be like? Because there's a part of me that's almost like, at that point, it's like, all right, just put it on a credit card. It's like, <laughs> what do we? Like, what oh is the? Sorry, now, Dave. Sorry, Dave Ramsey. Now, would I was gonna say, would Ashley have the same approach to just put it on the credit card as the one, as the financially responsible? Well, member of the marriage. I it, mean, even two weeks. I mean, you're talking about thousands of dollars, even at a discounted rate. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, who of, knows how much that other resort costs? One of the interesting things to me is like, you know, I said it earlier. You think about this happening to you, you're like, oh, that's the dream. You know, just laying on the beach, being waited on hand yeah. foot, but it's sipping drinks. Yeah, just yeah. doing whatever. But it begs the question, you know, like, is that what we were created for? Like, how long before that becomes? Right. Old. You know, I mean, it's funny. Like, we all complain uh, in the situation we're in, you know, with quarantine. Like, we all complain about, or I should say the average person complains about work, complains about their job all the time. And everybody's like, please just let me go to work. (laughs) Yeah. I think there was a meme that I saw or something, but it was basically making fun of the fact that, like, before the before the coronavirus, everyone was just like, gosh, I just want to go home and watch Netflix. And now everyone's like, I just... I just want to get out and do something. I don't want to watch Netflix. Right, anymore. right, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it does it does beg that question of like what we were created for and and how much of just laying around can one take? Right. You know. Um, so I don't know. I mean, if I don't know what, if you were actually found yourself in that situation, I mean, I don't know what you could do other than what you mentioned. Just be yeah, like, put it nothing. on a credit card and. Uh, <laughs> I hope we brought a couple of books because I'm done with this one. And, uh, you know, Brad, what, yeah. what, what, what would you do? I don't My My wife gets stir crazy so easily. I think I could be on vacation for a lot longer than she could. I mean, w- right now at our home, I don't I think we've remodeled our house about six times. In oh, quarantine. yeah, for sure. So I think we've bought everything from Home Depot. I don't know if there's anything else to buy. If you're getting bored. I have children I could loan you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I I I'm prone to just like sit around and do nothing more than she is, but like me too. I so I could see her getting answer I could see the stress, the financial stress of everything. And then also, I mean, just the the uncertainty of like when are we going to be able to go yeah. home? Are we trapped here? I mean, I think that would 
would weigh on you. So, yeah. I mean, One thing I forgot to mention, uh, I think it said that the uh, when South Africa placed the travel ban, it was initially going to last through April 16th, I think. So I don't know if they've made it's April 14th. So I don't know if they've made further announcements, but even with that, it's like you kind of, they probably wouldn't be able to go anywhere until the 16th or the 17th. I mean, what's so crazy too, when you think about this, (laughs) what's so crazy is when you think about it, like this is one story and you, I mean, out of how many couples they said, yeah, I other think, South oh, African yeah. couples. Yeah, I think there was like forty total 40. people. Yeah, so I mean, this is one story out of those, and you just it just makes you wonder because of kind of what's going on. How many crazy scenarios are there yeah. like that? There got to be hundreds. Yeah, that that we haven't even heard of or know about of people that got stuck in certain places or well, the cruise ships. Those those stories. Oh have been yeah, nuts and Th- those are nuts too. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Well, guys. If uh, if anything like that happens and I get stuck in this booth with you, I will never run out of ways to be entertained. <laughs> That's a lie. Um, <laughs> we'll all grow sick of each other pretty quick, I imagine. Yeah. Well, Raul, Olivia, we hope you get home. Thoughts and prayers. That's right. This has been another episode. Come, come on the show if you <laughs> we'll <laughs> if do you, an interview. If you get help, call in. <laughs> call Sorry, in. Brad. Yeah, we'd love to hear the Sorry. story from you, your experience. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I do think that probably wraps us up for now. So, Brad, sign us off. All right. Thank you for listening. This has been another episode of Shades. We'll see you next time.